Hello and welcome to the Accidental Tomatoes podcast. I'm your host, Joe Webb, and this is a podcast for all of us who are looking for faith beyond the fences and the walls of organized religion and the institutional church. This is episode number 19 of the podcast, and today I want to talk about wisdom. And I want to apologize up front if this maybe turns into a little bit of a rant. Um, it kind of touches on some things that have been frustrating me for a while. And I, I don't do this very often, but I kind of want to pick up on something that I wrote in my blog earlier this week over at joewebwrites.com. The title of the blog post was A Time for Wisdom. And it was inspired by these daily email meditations I get from uh, Richard Rohr's Center for Action and Contemplation. And the gist of the post was that much of Christianity, at least American Christianity, has, I guess, been willing to settle for a lot less than wisdom, right? We, we talk a lot about spiritual growth or spiritual development in or I guess our church settings or whatever, but but I think we often frame that in terms of like how much information we can gather rather than in how wisely we can use that information and and really what the point of information gathering even is. It's as if there's this sort of destination that we're trying to get to where where we know all of the things, right? But but there's but there's no there's no real relationship. There's no real um, experiential element to that, right? It's just kind of downloading data, and and I I think we've kind of bought and sold in a lot of ways a faith based on you know like bumper sticker sayings. Um, what Roar calls in one of his emails the glib pious platitudes that we're so willing so often to settle for in place of that actual experiential relationship with the divine, right? However we want to define that. And that, you know, by the way, I think that's the kind of faith that, at least in my opinion, I would say has has maybe very nearly destroyed the institutional church in the U.S. It's, it's the kind of faith that a lot of us who would identify as spiritual exiles, as we call ourselves in the new wineskins community that I belong to, have found it necessary to kind of distance ourselves from. It's a shallow faith based more in capitalistic consumerism than it is in any notion really of Christ. In fact, I might argue that much of Christianity in America amounts to little more than folk superstition, right? Wear the right symbols, display the right, you know, trinkets, speak the incantation correctly, and enjoy the bounty of God's blessing, right? But superstition is the opposite of wisdom. So let me try to unpack this a little a little bit by by means of of a couple of, of stories. Several years ago, I watched this video of a talk given by Rob Bell. Rob Bell is a popular progressive Christian author and speaker. He kind of came to prominence um, with what at the time was a very innovative video series called NUMA back in the early 2000s. 
And the title of this video that I watched was called The Gods Aren't Angry. I think you can still find it on, on YouTube. And part of the, the point that Rob Bell makes in this video is how the faith that evolved into the Judeo-Christian tradition grew out of the folk superstitions of the ancient Near East cultures, right? So he talks about how, how it was that when human beings began to settle in communities to, to farm and to raise livestock, right, they started to notice how their crops and their animals were affected by the weather, right? Now, since those early people had no concept of meteorology, they believed that things like sunshine and rainfall and temperature were controlled by invisible beings that had power over the natural world. And somewhere along the line, they began to call those beings gods. And because they knew that their very survival depended on just the right amount of sun and heat and rain to make their crops go and to keep their livestock healthy, they began to believe that the way to get those things, right, in, in just the right amounts, was to make sure that the gods that were in charge of those things were pleased, that the, the, the gods were kept happy. So somewhere along the line, someone decided that the way to keep the gods happy was to offer them something of value, something that the people determined was of value. They decided to offer a sacrifice, right? Now, you can see right away, if you're paying attention, that what they were building was a control narrative, right? Because they themselves couldn't command the elements that they depended on. They sought to control the these supernatural beings, these gods that they thought were in charge of these things. So they probably started off sacrificing small things like portions of their crops, honestly, things that maybe they really wouldn't miss if they gave them up. And, and if the weather responded favorably, if the climate responded favorably, they would assume that their sacrifice had been effective and that the gods had been appeased. And so they do it again. And they do it again and again and again until it didn't work, right? And if it didn't work, if there were storms or floods or droughts that wiped out their farms and killed their livestock, they would assume that their sacrifice had either displeased or maybe even angered the gods. So they'd up the game. They would sacrifice things of greater and greater value to them, assuming those things had the same value to the gods. And eventually they got to the point where they ended up sacrificing each other and their own children to try to keep the gods happy. Human sacrifice, child sacrifice came about in this escalating control narrative, right? And that's that's what superstition is, right? It's it's a control narrative. It's a way to try to manipulate something that's out of our hands. And that brings me back to what Richard Rohr said in his email meditations this week about wisdom. So as a reference point, Rohr used the Old Testament book of Job in this particular meditation that I was reading. Now, Job is widely believed to have been one of the oldest stories in the Hebrew canon. 
And scholars believe that it was a folk tale that had been handed down for generations and generations until someone, probably during the Jewish exile to Babylon, wrote it down as part of their sacred text. Essentially, it's, it's a legend about this guy named Job who pretty much had it all. Great family, thriving agricultural enterprise, influence in his community, the whole ball of wax. And the legend goes that, that God is meeting with some kind of heavenly council, and he's bragging about how faithful this guy Job is. And this character that gets identified in the Hebrew as Hasatan, which translates to the Satan, confronts God about this. And this Hasatan character basically says, well, of course Job is faithful. You've given him every advantage. Let him lose it all, and let's just see if he's still faithful. Let's see if he doesn't begin to curse you rather than to praise you. Now, just as a side note, this Hebrew word Hasatan, the Satan, translates to something like the adversary or the accuser, right? It's more of of sort of a courtroom sort of character. Nowhere in this story, or, or honestly really anywhere in early Hebrew literature, is there a being that's named Satan that is some kind of demonic spiritual creature. That is a development that comes along much later in Jewish and then later still in Christian thought. And it's probably the topic for a whole other podcast. In fact, I feel like I should emphasize again that this story is the purest folklore. Nothing about it should make us take it literally or historically. It is, as I mentioned before, a legend, a myth, a story that people tell to try to explain why things are the way they are. Now, to say that that something is a legend or a myth doesn't make it untrue. In fact, Myth is a way of attempting to convey truth. It just means to say that we shouldn't take them as literal historical facts, right? There's a difference between fact and truth. So anyhow, the story goes that God allows this accuser character, this Hasatan, to strip everything away from Job. Job loses his family, his wealth, his livestock, his property, everything. Now, In the ancient world, it was believed that if something bad happened to you, you must have done something to deserve it. And the accuser character was counting on this quid pro quo mentality to try to get Job to turn against God. But Job is not having it, right? Job knows that he has done nothing wrong. But rather than curse God for allowing such suffering to come his way, the way Richard Rohr says it is that Job dares to confront God, the very thing many of us were trained never to do. In fact, we called it blasphemy. So Job spills his guts out to God. He expresses every brutally honest bit of his anger and his frustration. He doesn't come at God with flowery words and majestic gestures. He doesn't quote Bible verses or say some prayer with Father God, Father God, Father God over and over again like we do so often in our churches. He's not trying to kiss God's butt here, right? He expresses his anguish in the most authentic way he knows how. 
So the story continues with these three friends of Job's who come along and they see everything that's happened to, to their friend. And they're just sure that Job must have done something to deserve God's punishment, right? Because that's how things work. So they try to convince him to, to basically just apologize, just cop a plea, right? But Job won't relent. He knows that he is guilty of no wrongdoing, but he refuses to blame God for his hardship. And I love the way that Rohr sums all of this up in, in this particular email meditation. He says, Job loses his livelihood, his savings, his family, and his health. His practical religious friends appear as self-appointed messengers to speak what they are sure is God's answer to Job's suffering. They offer the glib, pious platitudes of stereotypical clergy. What they do is try to take away the mystery, but they cannot solve the problem. God says you cannot solve the problem of suffering. You can only live the mystery. The only response to God's faithfulness is to be faithful ourselves. And then a little bit further down in the meditation, Roar adds this. Job's religious friends and advisors have correct theory, but no experience. Thoughts about God, but no love of God. They believe in their theology. Job believes in the God of their theology. It's a big difference. The first is information. The second is wisdom. And I was thinking as I read this, it's awfully easy for us to just settle for information, isn't it? To just repeat the magic words, to wear the blessed symbols, to quote the holy book, because that's how superstition works, right? We try to do the things that we think we need to do to try to convince God to do what we want God to do. That's what Job's friends were trying to talk him into. And that's a faith that's based on a concept of God, a theory about God that has no basis in an actual experience of God. But it's in the experience that we begin to gain the wisdom that I believe that God is offering us. And the way that we have that experience is through an honest, open relationship. Superstition and religious theories and concepts are all ways to try to avoid suffering. Wisdom says that suffering isn't the point. It doesn't seek to avoid the chaos and the hardships of life. Wisdom embraces the mystery. Wisdom knows that it can't know everything. Wisdom knows that control is an illusion. If all we ever seek in our faith formation is more and more information in a futile attempt to manipulate God into getting what we want, we will never gain the peace that comes from true wisdom. The peace that we try to get by avoiding suffering can only be gained through the wisdom that says suffering is not the point. And I think that's part of the reason that church in the traditional sense, at least as we've known it, you know, for the last few generations, 
just isn't working for a lot of us anymore. For those of us who are seeking something more than just academic knowledge, more than just downloading data, more than a feudal control game, we've become really, really frustrated with a church that seems content to keep drinking milk when it should be craving meat, to paraphrase a New Testament saying. What we need is wisdom. We need wise leaders who don't just offer easy answers, but who help us embrace the mystery, who walk through suffering with us rather than engaging in these futile exercises of trying to remove suffering. Our spiritual development, our spiritual growth should never be satisfied with simply gaining information and increasing knowledge. It's not that those are bad things, of course, but ultimately, they should lead us into a deepening desire for true wisdom. So that's it for episode number 19 of the Accidental Tomatoes podcast. I know this was a shorter episode than a lot of them. Really, I was just um, really kind of trying to use this space to sort of process some of my own thoughts. So I hope in some way um, that it's maybe helped you think about some of your frustrations and maybe in some way opened some new pathways for how we think about our, our spiritual growth, our spiritual development, not by pursuing so much information and knowledge, but, but to use that pursuit, right, to try to, to gain some wisdom. As always, you can find Accidental Tomatoes online at accidentaltomatoes.com. And across the social media world, we are at Accidental Tomatoes. So please be sure to like and follow our Facebook page, our, our Twitter account, and our Instagram page for up-to-the-minute updates of all of the things that are going on in our community. We've got some, some guest speakers coming up soon, and you'll, you'll want to stay tuned to our social media pages to find out more about those things. You can find me, Joe Webb, at my website, joewebwrites.com, where I blog every week about a lot of these same issues that we talk about here on the podcast, as well as a lot of other things. And on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, I'm at Joe Webb Writes. If you have ideas or suggestions for future topics for the podcast, future subjects you'd like to hear about, I would love to hear from you. You can, again, reach out to us on Facebook or Twitter, or you can send us an email at accidentaltomatoes at gmail.com. And if you enjoy this podcast, I would ask you to please be sure to throw us up a rating and a review on whatever app you listen to your podcasts on, whether it's um, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, whatever it is. That's one way to help other people find us and connect with our community and to participate in the conversation. And if, if you'd like to support the work that we're doing at Accidental Tomatoes, you can donate through the Patreon channel where your support helps us offset some of the expenses of producing content for our community. Just go to patreon.com slash Accidental Tomatoes to learn more. So until next time, please keep on growing outside the fences and join us again for the Accidental Tomatoes podcast. 